Tonight we're uh, looking at Revelation 15 through 18, where we have the seven bowls of wrath, the battle of Armageddon, and the fall of Babylon the Great. And uh, <clears throat> doing a little reviewing, we tried to review a little each night. And uh, remember we uh, said that uh, in the first section there that uh, you have Christ uh, in chapter 1, Christ among the seven lampstands and uh, that then you get the seven letters to the seven churches and that these lampstands uh, symbolize the church holding out the light. And uh, these seven churches were churches of that day, but they represented the entire church, seven being the number of completeness, and uh, that that would represent the whole church during the whole period between Christ's first coming and second coming, not that those were, you know, one church is 100 to 200, and another church is 200 to 300 or something like that, A.D., but that this is just the conditions that will exist in the whole church throughout the whole period between Christ's first coming and his second coming as the church holds out the light. Part of the church will be persecuted but faithful. Part will be have lost its first love, etc. Different conditions. And, uh, and those would vary from century to century, etc. And uh, then you had the fourth chapter, the opening part of the fourth chapter. John is called to... Uh, come up here to come up to heaven and that's we said that's not the rapture of the church that's just John being caught up and he sees this throne in heaven and everything around the throne the uh, the 24 elders representing the entire people of God Old Testament the 12 tribes and and so on New Testament 12 apostles the whole church uh, throughout all of history gathered around the throne and uh, then uh, the angels and all of creation and so on and uh, so here's the sovereignty of God and everything that's taking place, that he is in charge. And, and the lamb that was slain is there, and he goes and takes this scroll from God's hand and begins to break the seals on the scroll. And the scroll is written on the inside and outside, and we said that pictures the plan of God for all of history. And uh, the lamb is the one who uh, fulfills this plan, and particularly the plan of redemption. Well, as he breaks a seal, uh, different horses come running out, riding out, horsemen, and the first one is a white one, and he said that represents Christ going forth to conquer and, and uh, so on. And then the next one, uh, the next two uh, represent the persecution of Christians as the, as the church holds out the light during this whole period of time between Christ's first coming and second coming, what does the world do? Well, the world persecutes the church. And uh, it takes both the form of uh, physical persecution and the form of economic oppression. And so these different horses represent that. And then the last horse represents just death and, and uh, uh, war and, and death as Christians undergo what everybody else undergoes in that sense too. Well, then uh, the last of these seals, as he opens the seals, as the Lamb does, the last seal is seven trumpets. What does a trumpet warrant? And so, again, we're backing up and we're going through this whole time again. What does God do as the world persecutes his church? Well, God sends warnings. So as a trumpet blows, where, where a third of agriculture is burned up throughout the whole earth. 
or a third of the sun is destroyed, or a third of the ships in the sea sink. Not a total destruction, a warning. And so throughout this whole period of time, God sends judgments on the world as the world persecutes the church. And we looked at Amos where God sent judgments to Israel uh, when he said, I sent the plagues and you didn't respond. I, you young men I've killed with a sword, you didn't respond. I sent drought, you didn't respond. And uh, all this was to lead them to repentance. Well, these warnings are to lead the world to repentance. And uh, uh, so the, you get these seven trumpets. Again, we're, we're going through that whole period of time. Then in chapter, well, in, in chapter 11, we had the two witnesses. And we said those two witnesses are not two individuals that are going to appear. Those two witnesses represent the church witnessing. Jesus sent his disciples out two by two. And uh, so as they go out and proclaim his word, why the word has power and the heavens are shut up. Like, And they do this for 42 months or three and a half years because there was a parallel period in the Old Testament of 42 months or three and a half years during which time the church was persecuted and yet it was nourished and and uh, protected and it demonstrated the power of God's word as in Elijah's day it didn't rain for three and a half years uh, until uh, God told him alright now it's going to rain and, and so his word demonstrates his power and again uh, it says that if you try to take them well, fire comes out of their mouth and devours you well remember when you'd go to take Elijah when the king would send the soldiers to take Elijah he'd, he'd say man of God come down the king wants you and he says if I'm a man of God let fire come down from heaven and it would so this is a parallel there. But then it comes a point uh, when, when the two witnesses have finished their testimony. There comes a point when God's church will have finished his testimony. At that point, those two witnesses are killed on the great street where our Lord was killed, Sodom and Egypt. And uh, this represents the world. And uh, <clears throat> so... Uh, uh, there will be a point where the church is overcome as far as an aggressive, open witness for Christ. And all the world rejoices at that point, send presents to each other, because they were plagued by the church's testimony. They were bothered tremendously by it. And uh, then all of a sudden, after a short period of time, they come to life, and they are caught up. And we said, that's the rapture. And it's, uh, uh, so <clears throat> then we, we hit chapter 12. And uh, in chapter 12, where the, uh, we went behind the scenes. What's behind all this persecution of the church and so on? Well, Satan versus Christ. And we saw there a scene where you had uh, a woman ready to give birth, and uh, the uh, moon is under her feet, and the crown of stars on her head, and so on. And uh, there's a dragon waiting to devour her son as soon as it be born. And with his tail he draws a third of the stars from heaven and flings them down to the earth. And then she brings forth a child who is to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And he's caught up to God and to his throne. And uh, he said the dragon, of course, represents Satan. The child is the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, you've got his birth, death, resurrection, and ascension all telescope there. And uh, <clears throat> that... Uh, then the woman flees into the wilderness where the devil pursues her for three and a half years. But she's protected and nourished by God. Again, we've got this same period of time. And this is, represents the whole period between Christ's first coming and his second coming where the church is persecuted but protected and nourished by God. And uh, 
the Satan tries to uh, overwhelm her with a flood of water out of his mouth, but the earth opens up and swallows up. Well, this would picture the flood of lies and persecution that Satan uses against the church, but he's not successful. Remember, in connection with the child being caught up, it says the devil was cast out, he who accuses us day and night before, before God. And uh, at that point, when Christ died and rose, that's not his original fall. That's a fall of Satan in connection with the death and resurrection of Christ. Christ conquered Satan. Satan is a conquered foe. Now, he's not dead. Uh, but his, he, he is conquered. Like, uh, and we can enter into his victory like the, Philistine, the uh, Israelites entered into David's victory over uh, Goliath. We can enter into Christ's victory and uh, over Satan. And he is a conquered foe now. He persecutes the church, but he is not successful, and so on. And, and that casting out was not the original fall, the, the third of the stars being drawn. That's the original fall. This was a fall of Satan. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew 12, uh, that now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And so that's, that took place uh, at the first coming of Christ. Now, <clears throat> uh, then we... Uh, uh, come uh, tonight uh, to uh, oh and then last week also we looked at two of, of the devil's helpers a beast out of the sea and the beast out of the earth and the beast out of the sea uh, represented the uh, the world as it persecutes believers and uh, the, the beast out of the earth with two horns like a lamb that pictured <coughs> false prophets, false teachings. Uh, so here are two of Satan's allies, the world in its persecution and uh, uh, of Christians and uh, the false prophets, false teachings as, as they deceive the world and so on <clears throat> and try to lead Christians astray. Now we come to chapter 15 tonight. Let's look at that in our Bibles if you would open up and uh, we have the seven angels with the seven vials of wrath. And uh, <clears throat> when, when men refuse God's warning trumpets, what then? Well, throughout history, God sends judgments. And that's what's being pictured here. Uh, in... Uh, uh, the first scene you have the saints victorious beside the sea of glass in heaven in chapter 15 verse 1 I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign seven angels with the seven last plagues last because with them God's wrath is completed and I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire and standing beside the sea those who had been victorious over the beast in his image and over the number of his name. Uh, they held harps given them by God and sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Think of when uh, Moses was fleeing from Egypt, uh, he and all the Israelites, and Pharaoh comes after him with his army and, and God opens the Red Sea and Moses and the Israelites cross over and then Pharaoh and his army go down chasing them into the sea and the waters wipe them out and Moses on the other side of the sea and they sing the song of uh, their Miriam you know and they praise God for this great deliverance well 
here's this here are the believers the saved in heaven as they rejoice over their deliverance and this is the 144,000 symbolizing a great number that's, that's a symbolic number not literally 144,000 symbolizing all the saved here they are and they rejoice over their victory here as they, they are saved as this wrath begins to be poured out and uh, notice it says uh, uh, standing beside the sea those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and over the number of his name this persecution of the world and so on it hasn't turned them from their faith and they held harps given them by God they sang the song of Moses the servant of God and the song of the Lamb great and marvelous are your deeds Lord God Almighty just and pure are your ways King of the ages who will not fear you O Lord and bring glory to your name for you alone are holy all nations will come and worship before you but your righteous acts for your righteous acts have been revealed after this I looked and uh, in heaven the temple that is the tabernacle of the testimony you remember in the Old Testament you had the tabernacle and it's called the tabernacle of the testimony because you had the ark of the covenant and you had the ten commandments in there that testified against the sin of the people and so this is here, here this is in heaven now and uh it says it was opened out of the temple, and the temple was on the same pattern as the tabernacle there, so the two are the same. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues, these last plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore golden sashes around their chests. And then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Now, here's the, you've got the sea of glass, the saints victorious there. And this singing then with the seven vows, the seven angels with the seven bowls of wrath, the vows of wrath as they come from the temple. The temple opened, they come out, <coughs> the temple's filled with smoke. And the third scene, they pour out these on the earth. Chapter 16, verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go, pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. First angel went, poured out his bowl on the land. And ugly and painful sores broke out on all the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. Uh, <clears throat> now this doesn't fall on believers here. And the result is grievous sores. The second vial in verse 3. It says uh, that uh, the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea. It turned into blood like that of a dead man. And every living thing in the sea died. Now before when you had the trumpets blow. A third of all the life in the sea. Or a third of the agriculture whatever. Now it's every living creature as these bowls of wrath are poured out. Uh, number four, the third angel, verse four, poured out his bowl on the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. Remember, obviously there's an allusion to when God sent judgments on Egypt while his people were there and uh, shows that he's the true God, etc. Uh, well, these are uh, similar type of judgments here. Uh, and uh, verse five, then I heard the angel in charge of the water say, you are just in these judgments. You who are and who were the Holy One, 
because you have so judged. For they have shed the blood of your saints and prophets, and uh, you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond. You remember from the altar had been these voices of those who had been persecuted saying, How long, O Lord, before you avenge our blood? And uh, so now the blood's being avenged, so to speak. So he says, I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was given power to scorch people with fire. And they were uh, seared by the intense heat. And they cursed the name of God, who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plagued with darkness. Men gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. Uh, Now, what's being symbolized here by these bowls of wrath being poured out? Again, uh, the whole period of time between the first coming and the second coming is being symbolized. And uh, the the, uh, fact that as God warns, during this period of time and people don't respond well then God sends final judgment in a sense think of Sodom and Gomorrah okay surely they had prior warnings and when they didn't respond then finally a bowl of wrath was poured out on them now that bowl of wrath was uh, was in a sense final judgment for them but it was a warning to everybody else and so all along you've got the warnings uh, you got these bowls being poured out throughout history and yet they're warnings for all the rest of us and uh, uh, so that's that's the type thing that's being pictured for us here uh, there was a day when you know a bowl was poured out on Hitler and Nazi Germany and all that in a sense and that was a warning to everybody else but it was final judgment for him and his leaders and that type thing uh, so uh, an individual calamity may be a trumpet while for someone else, and uh, yet it was a bowl for that person here, this judgment, wrath of God for the person it fell on. You remember when Jesus, uh, again in Luke 13, when they reported to Jesus about the people Pilate had killed, and then he said, do you think that means they were worse sinners than anyone else? No, but I tell you, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. That ended their life as a warning to you. Those 18 on whom the power of Siloam fell, the tower of Siloam fell, he says uh, that not necessarily saying they're worse than all other men. Uh, it is saying, uh, look out, uh, that's a warning to you. So here's the, <clears throat> these vials as they're poured out. Now, the at the same time, while these go on throughout history, obviously there is going to be a point where final judgment and we're, we're at the end of history, and final judgment is going to be ushered in. And we've already hit that several times as we've gone along, and we're going to hit it again with the Battle of Armageddon here, as this begins, we move up to that. In uh, verse 12 uh, of chapter 16, it speaks of the sixth vial or bowl of wrath. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, 
And its waters were dried up to prepare, its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Now, uh, the river Euphrates is associated with Assyria and Babylonia, uh, the wicked world in a sense. And uh, it says, Then I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs, these are demons, and uh, they came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of Satan, out of the mouth of the beast, Satan's helper there, the world, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, that other beast out of the earth. Uh, They are the spirits of demons performing miraculous signs. They go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle. Uh, The battle is the battle of Armageddon, the final great battle. And uh, and, uh, this is the sixth vow because the seventh is going to be the end. Okay, and this is preparation for the end. Now, uh, it says, uh, these, uh, as we say, they gather for this battle. And uh, let's look at just one or two other references to the battle. Uh, Hold your place there and look at Revelation 20. And next week we're going to look at Revelation 20 in detail, and that's what everything has been building toward. But just to get a feel of this, in uh, Revelation 20 and verse 7, it says, uh, <clears throat> When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Now that's, the, that's this battle, the great last battle. Uh, hold your place in Revelation 16. Look at uh, Ezekiel chapter 38. Where again we have this battle brought before us. Ezekiel chapter 38 uh, and uh, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel, son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Mashus and Tubal, prophesy against him and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm against you, O Gog, chief prince of Mashus and Tubal. Uh, I will turn you around and put hooks in your jaws and bring you out with your whole army, your horses, your horsemen fully armed, and a great horde with large and uh, small shields, all of them brandishing their swords. Persia, Cush, Put will be with them, all with shields and helmets, also Gomer with all his troops, and so on. Many nations with you. And uh, in verse 13, excuse me, verse 15, you will come from your place in the far north, you and many nations with you. All of them riding on horses, a great horde, a mighty army. And you will advance against my people Israel like a cloud that covers the land. In the days to come, O Gog, I will bring you against my land, so that the nations may know me when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. And uh, it goes on to describe this battle. In in, uh, verse 21 it says, Every man's sword will be against his brother. 
and uh, so on. And you get to you get it described also in chapter 39. Well, that's this same great final battle that's being pictured there. And so the sixth vial prepares for this. The, these frogs go out and gather these nations, these evil spirits do. And Christ warns, back in Revelation 16 now, uh, Christ warns in verse 15 of chapter 16, Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him, so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. In other words, uh, uh, in the midst of all of this, final showdown, Christ will appear. And uh, that'll be his return. Uh, That's just referred to here. And uh, it doesn't elaborate on that at all at this point. Now, you, it's in verse 16 it says, Then they gathered the kings together to the place that is in the Hebrew called Armageddon. Or, and that's a reference back to the battle of Megiddo. When uh, you had uh, in Judges chapter 4 and verse 4 following, you had uh, King Jabin, uh, the Canaanite who came against the Israelites, and uh, they had this great battle fought, and God intervenes and gives a great victory to his people. And that's a, a symbol here of this final great battle. Now, uh, the seventh vial is opened in verse 17. The seventh angel pours out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. And then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since man has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city split in three parts. And the cities of the nations collapsed. Uh, God remembered Babylon the Great. And gave her the cup filled with the wrath of the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away and the mountains could not be found. That's the end of the world. Right there. We've hit this a number of times before. We hit it again. All this, you get the final battle, you get the end of the world. They go together. Uh, we've hit this earlier. Uh, if you remember, we hit it uh, back in the sixth chapter. Look back at chapter six of Revelation. And uh, verse 11. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. The stars in the sky fell to the earth. Uh, The sky receded like a scroll rolling up. Every mountain and island were removed from its place. And verse 17, the great day of the wrath, uh, their wrath has come, and who can stand? So you had it there. Uh, Look at chapter 11 of Revelation, where we had the two witnesses uh, uh, killed, and then they uh, stand on their feet in verse 12 of chapter 11. Then they heard a loud voice. That's the return of Christ and the church being caught up to meet him. And they went up to heaven cloud while they entered on. And into the city collapsed. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake and so on. And uh, the war was passed. The third was coming. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet. There were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever. And uh, 18 there. The nations were angry. Your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead. 
again, that's the end. You hit the end in the 6th chapter, you hit it here in the 11th chapter, we've hit it again here in the 16th chapter, and, uh, uh, no, 17, yes, 16th chapter, I'm sorry. <clears throat> and uh, now, uh, this the uh, 17th chapter of Revelation, uh, <clears throat> we have uh, Babylon the Great. Now, uh, this describes the nature and history of the harlot Babylon. And uh, in chapter 18, we're going to see the fall of Babylon. But notice this woman here. And chapter 17, one of the seven angels who had seven bowls, uh, well, excuse me, I'm sorry, we skipped over a few things. Didn't uh, Let's uh, go back there where we... We're reading in chapter 16. It says uh, that uh, the uh, we talked about every island fled away and so on. Verse 21, From the sky huge hailstones of about 100 pounds each fell upon men, and they cursed God on account of the plague of hail because the plague was so terrible. In chapter 17, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute, or harlot, who sits on many waters. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a desert. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls, she had a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. Uh, this uh, title was written on her forehead. Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abomination of the earth. Abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who have a testimony to Jesus, who bore a testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished and then the angel said to me, Why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast she rides, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and will come up out of the abyss and go to his destruction. The inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast, because he once was, now is not, and yet will come. Now, uh, this uh, woman, we get the interpretation of her uh, a little later here, not right now, but notice her dazzling attire, her golden cup as she entices people to drink here. Uh, It contains abominations, uh, uh, immorality, uh, drugs, whatever. She's Babylon. Uh, she's drunk. Now, what does she represent? Some say the false church. No. No. She's a harlot, not an adulteress. She's a harlot. Uh, and also, uh, we find in uh, verse 18 there that she's a city. Notice verse 18. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. Uh, think of pleasure-mad Babylon of old, and 
uh, how uh, when uh, <coughs> Belteshazzar is uh, Belshazzar is uh, got all of his people together and they're drinking wine out of the the cups that had been used in the temple when they had conquered, Babel, uh, conquered Israel and, and Judah and brought all the things there. And all of a sudden this hand comes writing on the wall, many, many, tekel yufarsin, numbered, numbered, and found warning. Your days are numbered, you've been found warning. Here's the world and all of its allurement, all of its rebellion against God, the pleasure-mad Babylon of old. Uh, whatever we worship, whether... We worship industry, whether we worship culture, uh, whether we worship all kind of uh, things, sports, whatever it may be. Uh, remember, John says, uh, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. Everything that would allure us away from God, uh, that's what's being pictured here. Now, uh, thus Babylon is past, present, and future. It passes away, Babylon passed away, but yet it always comes back in, in some form or another form. And uh, notice what's said here about this particular Babylon. Babylon. It says uh, in uh, verse 9, This calls for a man with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. Rome sat on seven hills. So here's the Babylon of that day as it persecutes Christians as it allures people to all these immoral things uh, so uh, uh, Babylon's fall takes place throughout history but there will be a final fall of all that people live for in the world other than God uh, the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes the pride of life now uh, in uh we have and uh, the we see the reaction of John he's overcome and the interpretation by the angel and so on uh, the history of it is passing away and coming back and the effect of it on the non-elect he entices all those whose name hadn't been written in the book of life it says uh, but uh, uh, he the others are not captured by this now uh, In uh, verse 10, there, verse 9, it says, The seven hills are, the seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come. So, uh, what is meant by these, seven, these uh, kings? Five, it says, uh, Five have fallen. Uh, one is and the other is to come uh, probably uh, these refer to the old Babylonia and then the Assyrian Empire and then the new Babylonia and then Medio Persia and then Greece and then Rome and uh, and then apparently there is to be a seventh powerful kingdom that's yet to come. Now, many thought that was Germany maybe when Hitler was there. Uh, and uh, you can see why they would think that. But at some point here, 
uh, there will be a, another kingdom, powerful kingdom, for a period of time. And uh, the other powers indicated by the ten horns will give their power uh, to this seventh kingdom, thus forming a great final confederation uh, that will constitute the ultimate form of anti-Christian world power. Uh, that's what's yet to come, apparently. And uh, in verse 11, it says, uh, The beast who once was and is not now is an eighth king. He belongs to the seventh and is going to his destruction. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour, a brief period of time, will receive authority as kings along with the beast. Here's this confederation. And uh, <clears throat> uh, their unity and alliance with the beast there. And verse 13, they have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. And they will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. So uh, here's this final great uh, attack on the Lamb and his people. Now, the uh, woman sits on waters here, and the significance of that, verse 15. And then the angel said to me, The waters you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. Worldwide. Uh, and uh, throughout the world, the beast will be persecuting Christians and so on. And the woman is part of this, uh, the allurement of the world. Uh, the, but notice what happens. This is interesting. Verse 16, it says, The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to run and leave her naked, and they will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. So here's the world in its persecuting uh, militancy and all, suddenly turning on the woman, all the wealth of the world and the allurement and all this, and attacking. And uh, so that you get uh, uh, these two that have been allied, all of a sudden uh, they are fighting with each other here. And uh, uh, in verse 17 it says, uh, uh, <clears throat> well, verse 16, the beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to run and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn with fire for God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to give the beast their power to rule until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. Uh, you can almost uh, think of America and uh, how, in my opinion, the elite of America are very anti-Christian. Think of those who control the media and all that type thing. Think of Disney and the Corruption that's put out by Disney today, unbelievable. Now, uh, and yet, uh, by the actions of a lot of non-Christian elite in our nation, it could well be 
that uh, the many of the luxuries of our nation will all of a sudden be destroyed one way or another by just things that would be implemented and actions that would be taken. And uh, oh, for, just take, for instance, the not having an, any anti-missile defense. By not having any, any anti-missile defense, all the luxuries of our nation could suddenly be removed. And yet the people who don't want the anti-missile defense in many cases are, are not, uh, they are part of the world. And yet they don't, that's so, that's so incongruous, isn't it? Here's the world that doesn't want to defend itself and may lose all of its luxuries in the process, you know. So uh, something like that seems to be maybe what's in view here. Now, uh, the, uh, uh, if you think about this, uh, uh, I think of my wife one time years ago, she was visiting in uh, a doctor's office and there was a magazine there. She was waiting to see him and, and the, the magazine said, uh, it was an ad, the ad said, uh, Susie has decided to be sexually active. Prescribe this pill for her. Susie has decided to be sexually active. Prescribe this pill for her. What Susie actually decided to do? Susie has decided to catch VD, uh, to go to hell. That's not pictured that way, is it? But that's what Susie has decided. If that's the process, if that's the path she's pursuing, to commit an abomination in the eyes of the Lord, uh, so on. Uh, but notice how, how sweetly it's pictured over here, where the truth of the matter is over here. Now, now that's the world. You know, it makes everything look so sweet and attractive. Doesn't tell you the whole truth, does it? Uh, well, chapter 18, the fall of Babylon. It says, uh, After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illumined by his splendor. With a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Uh, she has become a home for demons and a haunt for every evil spirit. A haunt for every unclean and detestable bird. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. Uh, the kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Uh, here's what happens to Babylon. She's fallen. And... Uh, why did it happen? Because the nations allowed themselves to become infatuated with her pleasures and treasures. And, and so they represent all those who set their hearts on these things. Uh, <clears throat> they serve mammon instead of serving God. Notice the admonition to the people of God to come out of her. Come out of her. Verse 4. Then I heard another voice uh, from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins so that you will not receive any of her plagues. For her sins have piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Uh, and he will give back to her as she has given. Pay her back double for what she has done. Mix her a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much torture and grief as, uh, as the glory and luxury she gave herself. Uh, in her heart she boasts, 
I sit as queen, I am not a widow, and I will never mourn. Therefore in one day her plagues will overtake her, death, mourning, and famine. She will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord who judges her. So here's the admonition of the people of God to come out of her. Uh, and to depart from Babylon means not to have fellowship with her sins. We're called to be in the world, but not of the world. And that's what's being said here. Do not get involved. We're in the world. We don't, we don't become hermits. We're sent in the world, but we're not to... Uh, be of the world. We're not to be ensnared by her allurements. Uh, remember Lot's wife. That would be another way of saying it. Remember Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. Now, <clears throat> the uh, amount of punishment is just tremendous there. Uh, the remembrance of her sins, the reward for her sins, the reason for this, her pride and God's power. And look how the world laments this, the men of the world. In verse 9, it says, uh, when the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and uh, shared her luxury saw the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her, terrified at her torment. They will stand far off and cry, Woe, woe, O great city, O Babylon, city of power. In one hour your doom has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold and silver and precious things and pearls and fine linen, purple silk, uh, scarlet cloth, articles of every kind made of, very, of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble. Cargoes of cinnamon, spice, of incense, myrrh, and frankincense, of wine and olive oil, of fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages, and bodies and souls of men. And they will say, the fruit you longed for is gone from you. All your riches and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at her torment. They will weep and mourn and cry out, Woe, woe, O great city! Dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls, in one hour such great wealth has been brought to ruin. And of course that's happened throughout history as you had Rome fall, as you had Babylon fall, as whatever. But there'll be a final great day when this happens and that's uh, being pictured here uh, <clears throat> all they've lived for uh, passes away here and uh, <clears throat> but notice uh, the well that, that was uh, uh, the merchants then you get the sea captains uh, uh, sea merchants in verse 17 every sea captain uh, <clears throat> and all who travel by ship the sailors and all who earn their living from the sea will stand afar off. When they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, Was there ever a city like this great city? They will throw dust on their heads and with weeping and mourning cry out, Woe, woe, O great city, where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour she has been brought to ruin. Uh, but notice now the exaltation of the citizens in heaven at the fall of Babylon. This the world and all of its allurement. In verse 20, Rejoice over her, O heaven. Rejoice, saints and apostles and prophets. God has judged her for the way she treated you. And then you have the dramatization of this destruction by an angel as he hurls a millstone into the sea. Verse 21, Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the side of a large millstone, threw it into the sea and said, With such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. 
The music of harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No workman of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of the bridegroom and the bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's great men. By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. In her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and of all who have been killed on the earth. And so here's the pleasure-mad, arrogant world with all of its seductive luxuries and pleasures. Its anti-Christian philosophy and culture shall perish. And so don't live for these things. That's the thrust of this. Uh, The whole uh, world offers its treasures uh, if we would just follow it. But instead we must follow Jesus, of course. And uh, uh, look at Matthew chapter 4 and verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And uh, that's the idea, of course, uh, of what we're to do. And, of course, uh, uh, we're to flee, come out of Babylon, flee, and have nothing to do with her allurements here. And as we do, our, our victory is assured. Let's stop at that point and see if you've got questions that you'd like to ask. Next week we're going to take up 19 and 20, which uh, we've been building to. And uh, you get the final great battle. Uh, we've introduced it tonight. You'll get it next week. You get the binding of Satan. Uh, that's the most controversial chapter in the whole book, I guess. And uh, we'll, we'll review next week uh, the different positions, the pre, post, and awe. And you've got that in your book. You've got that in your notes, pre, post, and awe. And uh, I'm going to ask one of you to stand up here and explain those four uh, uh, different things. And, uh, but read over and study those four different positions because uh, that's the heart of the whole thing, understanding those. And uh, when we come to Revelation 20, how we interpret Revelation 20 and how the different groups there interpret it and so on. So uh, read that ahead of time. And so we've got next week and then the week after deals with the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, next week will be the binding of Satan, the... A uh, thousand year reign, the, uh, uh, the Battle of Armageddon. But let's see what questions you might have about what we've been over tonight or anything previous. Okay, verse, uh, verse 8 of chapter 14. A second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. Here you get the fall, and then, but we looked at it in detail today when we got to this. Uh, a third angel followed them. And said in a loud voice, If anybody worships the beast in his image, and uh, the beast there is Satan, uh, excuse me, is the world, is empowered by Satan, and its persecution of Christians, its threat, its allurements, uh, pure pressure, we might call it. Uh, <clears throat> you think of uh, being in a fraternity, or like I was in a fighter squadron, or whatever, and that was real pressure to go along with what the guys were going to do, you know, and what they were going to do was not what God wanted done. Uh, in many, many cases, and and yet uh, uh, here you you feel the pressure. If you break with them, if you take a stand for Christ, etc. And uh, <clears throat> so here it says, uh, uh, if anyone worships the beast, you you serve him. You you go in that direction, in his image, and receives his mark on the forehead of the hand. They just they belong to him. He too will drink of the wine of God's fury 
which has been poured out full strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angel and the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast in his image or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. That's just all through history. Everyone who doesn't become a true believer goes to hell. That's what's being said. You read in Mark 9 about Jesus where Jesus talks about uh, the war, the uh, cut out your, pluck out your right eye, cut off your right hand rather than entering into life. It would be better entering life blind or maimed than to have two eyes be cast into hell where the worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. <clears throat> oh, I see. Your question is, will, will they be in hell observing this? Well, I don't know that they'll actually literally be there, but they, uh, number one, Christ will there be a final judgment when everyone stands before him and he will banish them to hell. And you remember that uh, in hell, uh, you have uh, when Lazarus is in heaven and Dives is in hell and Dives lifts up his eyes and sees Lazarus and he says, uh, Father Abraham, send Lazarus uh, to dip his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm in torment in this place. And Abraham says, there's a great gulf fixed between us and we can't cross to you and you can't cross to us. In Isaiah, look at Isaiah uh, chapter, about chapter 60, uh, let's see where it is, <clears throat> where it talks about that uh, the redeemed go out and look on those who are in hell. Let's see where it is, maybe 66, six, uh, 66. Uh, <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 66, last chapter in Isaiah, and uh, verse 22. As the new heavens and the new earth that I will make endure before me, declares the Lord, so will your name and your descendants endure. From one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord, and they will go out and look upon the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. Their worm will not die, nor will their fire be quenched, and they will be loathsome to all mankind. Well, if the worm doesn't die, it means pain goes on. The fire is not quenched. They're not burned up. So they continue to suffer. And it talks about their tongues, gnawing their tongues in agony and that kind of stuff. So this is sort of a similar picture here in Isaiah. It would seem that in hell you're, I mean, in heaven you're conscious of the anguishes of those in hell. It would seem that way, maybe. And one of the great hymns about, uh, Not till then will I know how much I owe talks about when I see those in hell cry out and then will I fully know not till then how much I owe something like that other questions will we recognize the Antichrist that's an excellent question the most thorough description you have of him is in 2 Thessalonians 2 which we looked at the other night and it talks about him sitting in the temple of God and claiming to be God now that could mean a rebuilt temple could mean the church if it means a rebuilt temple and some guy, they rebuild the temple and some guy sits in the temple and says he's God, I think we'll recognize him. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes. Where does the rapture fit into the Battle of Armageddon? We're going to look at that next week. Uh, I, I could do it tonight, but I just think it'd mean more if we waited till next week. That's very dramatic, the way it fits in. It's very dramatic. And we have a good description of it, not in Revelation. Uh, we, we have it in Revelation, but we have a good description. It ties in with Revelation elsewhere. And we'll look at that next week. Yes. I think in every view, there would be uh, 
a battle of Armageddon, but in some views, and, and, and the idealist view is, is my view, and I believe in a literal final great battle that will involve the nation of Israel. Uh, you would have others who would hold to the idealist view who would believe that uh, this, it just represents persecution of the entire church throughout the entire period of time and uh, maybe intensifying at the end, but not a specific army gathered around Israel. So that you'd have some difference within the idealist camp of uh, what this battle of Armageddon would be. I personally think it'll be a literal battle. I'm sure Christians will be persecuted all around the world. It's interesting as you read recent uh, editorials of the way persecution of Christians is heating up around the world. I mean, it uh, sums up. But uh, uh, the... The I think that it's going to involve the nation of Israel as sort of the center of that, and I'll give my reasons for that next week. Well, of course, the number one thing would be to, I mean, uh, the number one thing that we need to do as a church is to try to get the gospel out, get people coming to Christ, uh, because that's the number one need of men. But even as we do that, that's the best thing we can do for our country. The most patriotic thing we can do for our country is be, uh, winning men and women to Christ, discipling them, and uh, you only change a society as you change the people in it. If we don't change our society, God has got to judge our nation. Uh, you, you're going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah or something, you know, because we are being, we're getting to be so wicked. And uh, so the best thing, the most patriotic thing we can do for our nation is to try to advance the kingdom of Christ in the hearts of men here. doesn't mean we shouldn't be very active in politics and try to elect men who understand the need for missile defense and all that type thing, you know, and are willing to stand and battle for it and so on. We, we, we certainly want to do that too. Thank you. Any other questions? Yeah, uh, I'd say the first fruits are just that all true believers are first fruits. Uh, uh, that you, you set aside the first fruits for God, you would do that. And uh, <clears throat> so, uh, it, it, it's not saying that these are Israelites per se and they are first fruits versus the rest of the Christians or something like that. That number 144,000 is a symbolic number of all the saved throughout all history. Uh, and uh, just like the 24 elders represent the leaders of the church throughout all history, <clears throat> 12 in the old, 12 in the new. Uh, that 144,000, which is the dimension of the city, the holy city, it's a cube, 144,000 square feet and so on uh, it just represents all the saved throughout all history it doesn't represent Jews who will be saved after the church is raptured and uh, of course personally I don't believe the church is going to leave before the end I believe it's going to leave right at the end I don't believe there's going to be anybody saved after the church is raptured that's the end and uh, I do believe you're going to have the Jews Many, many Jews come to Christ before the end, close to the end, and we'll look at that next week. <clears throat> that's, that's part of this last great thing. Yeah, that's a good question. How could you be completely happy in heaven if, if you knew your daughter wasn't in heaven with you or your daddy wasn't in heaven with you or something? And uh, yet somehow you will be. Yeah, but that's an excellent question. I don't know that our nation represents the church, well, but but uh, certainly it could be that it could be that the Antichrist would be the president of our nation, or it could be someone else. Uh, uh, there's no way to know that till we till we get closer. I think a little bit. Uh, uh, but he, I mean, he could fit some current position, whether it's 
whether it's heading up the European market, whether it's uh, being Prime Minister of England, or whether it's being uh, Prime Minister of uh, Iraq, or the President of the, what do you, what do you call it, <laughs> anyway, the head of Iraq or Iran, or whatever it might be. It, it could be some current position, and it could be some current person. You know, and Falwell got taken to task here this last week for saying he thought the Antichrist is alive. Well, it wouldn't surprise me at all if the Antichrist isn't alive, uh, because uh, I, this thing is is starting to get close to the end. Where you got so many things in place, where you got Israel back in the land, you got the surrounding nations hating them, you got so many things in place, and it can go on. I don't want to put any date on it. It can go on. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 more years, but it wouldn't surprise you at all. I mean, if it goes on 70 more years, you still could have the Antichrist born today, you know. And so, I was surprised that Falwell put a 10-year thing on it, but anyway. (laughs) 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 Um, Any other question? Uh, Good question. Uh, You you find uh, the references in the Old Testament to Gog and Magog, not just in Ezekiel 38 there, but earlier when you got the nations being described uh, back in Genesis. You've got those who would locate this uh, in uh, sort of the northern part of Russia right now and and, and the capitals up there. Uh, you read, uh, you read uh, Fairburn's commentary on Ezekiel 38 and that's what he does. And uh, I'll, need, I'll need to read up a little bit more on that and... Uh, uh, before I try to comment on it much, but uh, I'll do that for next week when we're, we're dealing head on with the Battle of Armageddon. Good question, though. All right, well, let's stop at that point and uh, have a word of prayer. Father, we pray that uh, we would come out of Babylon, that we would not be attracted uh, to uh, engage in uh, all the things that the world offers us the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Uh, which are not of you, but of the world, that we would have discernment and that we would know when we are being tempted not to follow you and that we would come out of the world not in the sense of not being in the midst of non-Christians. Christ came to seek and save the lost and he wants us there reaching out, but in the sense of being different from the world, just as he was. And Father, we would pray that uh, for our nation, we pray that we might be an influence in, in our nation to turn it from sin and from rebellion against you, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.